we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikori, an executive director of the Center. And today we're going to have kind of two mini podcasts, uh, two topics we're going to be talking about that are in the news. First, Elizabeth Jacobs, uh, an analyst here at the Center, is going to be talking about something she's written about related to so-called temporary protected status. There was a recent development on that. And then John Fury, also here at the Center, is going to be talking about a policy related to ICE that also involves now Vice President Harris, a policy that she was responsible for when she was in the Senate and the effects it's having now and why Congress should act to change that. But let's start first with Liz. So Liz, what happened with temporary protected status or four countries that were involved here and there's several hundred thousand people who have this so-called temporary status. So let's first explain to people what is temporary protected status and is it really temporary? Spoiler alert, temporary protective <laughs> status has not shown to be temporary at all for countries that have been designated such status. Quickly, temporary protected status is a form of protection that exists in the INA or the Immigration and Nationality Act that allows the Secretary of Homeland Security to designate countries that have experienced significant humanitarian disruptions or disasters or armed conflicts in certain situations designate these countries for a short up to 18-month period from being too dangerous to return nationals to these countries. So if a country is designated and you are a national of this country and you are in the United States, assuming you are eligible for TPS, be protected from removal and become eligible for employment authorization. And for the most part, I mean, even though there are some people maybe who are foreign students or tourists who take advantage of it, the vast majority of people are illegal immigrants who are here when some disaster happens in their home country. Correct. This protects aliens in the United States from removal. Aliens that are subject to removal either have their visas expiring or they've been in the United States illegally to begin with. Right. Yeah. And the key thing here, and this is, I mean, I want you to get to what happened recently, but the key issue here is that the real reason for TPS is work permits because ICE could always on its own discretion decide, well, the airport is closed in whatever country this is, so we just won't deport people for the next two weeks and then we'll check back and see if things are functioning again. But that kind of administrative decision, which is perfectly within ICE's authority, doesn't give anybody a social security number and a work permit. That's the key to TPS that it enables people to legally start embedding themselves in society, even though they're technically still illegal aliens. That's correct. That's how I would distinguish TPS from some other form of prosecutorial discretion where right. ICE just refrains from prosecuting. Right, right. 
So, so what happened recently was four countries, right? El Salvador, Nicaragua, Haiti, and Nepal. Is that right? No, we have El Salvador, Honduras, Nepal, oh, and Nicaragua. Okay. Last week, the Biden administration announced that it will be rescinding the Trump administration's prior terminations of the designations for these countries for temporary protected status. They also announced that they will be extending these countries' TPS designations for an additional 18 months, but notably not redesignating them, which they have for many other countries that currently have TPS designations. Which means they open it up to people who came since the last time TPS was. Exactly. Because the point of TPS is not to give people who are in a country that experienced a disaster a way to come to the United States. It's to give people who were lucky enough to be here when the disaster happened an ability not to have to go home and to work legally. Exactly. Congress designed TPS to not encourage illegal immigration to the United States. Good luck with that. (laughs) Therefore, the statute requires that an alien must be in the United States at the time the country is designated for TPS. Administrations have been able to get around this requirement by, quote unquote, redesignating the country, therefore pushing up the required entry date to allow more people to be eligible for the protection and accompanying work authorization. Right. So basically what that amounts to is they renew it, but when they renew it, they say, okay, everybody who came since the last time we did it gets this benefit too. So what happened with the four countries, Honduras, El Salvador, Nepal, and Nicaragua? So they had people from those countries, there were what, 300,000 or more than 300,000 people who have been here. What did the Trump administration try to do with those grants of status? which had been ongoing for years. These were something that Mm -hmm. these people got 10 or even 20 years ago. In 2017 and 2018, the Trump administration announced that it was planning to terminate TPS designations for these four countries after it determined that conditions in these countries no longer justified their designations. And to many immigration experts, you and I, I believe included, we believe that these terminations or wind downs were long overdue because many of the designations were premised on years or decades old storms and emergencies. For example, Honduras and Nicaragua were originally designated for TPS in 1998, which is like 24 years ago now. Because of a hurricane, right? Yeah, because of Hurricane Mitch. Right, yeah. And it's clear that the statute did not intend that TPS was to be used as a long-term or permanent mechanism for people who are in the United States illegally to remain so indefinitely or permanently. But that's what it's become because of political pressure. So they just keeps get, what happens is they just keep getting renewed every time they expire. What a Chevrolet administration is in power just renews the thing. Exactly. And under Trump, they weren't even cutting it short. They were just saying, we're going to let this run its course and the temporary actually means something. Exactly. So after the most recent 18-month diagnosis for these countries were to expire, that would be it. So they had time to make plans to adjust either their immigration status or depart the United States. Right. And then what happened? Unsurprisingly, the terminations were challenged in court, and the case at the time was called Ramos v. Nielsen, but now the case is referred to as Ramos v. Mayorkas because of the change in administration. The plaintiffs in this case argued that 
the termination decisions violated the Administrative Procedure Act and the Constitution under, under equal protection. That case was heard in the Northern District of California. Just for listeners, San Francisco is what we're talking about here, right? Yes. And a preliminary injunction was issued fairly quickly to stop the administration from ending the designations. However, statute explicitly precludes judicial review of TPS determinations. So when the case was eventually heard by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, a three-judge panel there overturned the lower court's decision. The issue here, which is very unique, is that DHS has since considered that lower court's preliminary injunction to still be in effect because they say the Court of Appeals never issued an order to the lower court to remove that court order. So that court order has been in effect despite a ruling that it was illegal. Unbelievable. So in other words, the TPS for these people, the clock just kept running and they just kept their work permits, basically. Exactly. When was the Ninth Circuit ruling? In 2020. Yeah. So that was under the Trump administration. In other words, Trump's DHS could have acted. Could it not have? In other words, they could have acted on the circuit court ruling Mm -hmm. and terminated them. I need to look into the details for what action wasn't taken, but perhaps they were waiting for the order to be officially revoked by the lower court and that action was never taken. Okay. But what has happened since then is that plaintiffs in that case have asked the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to reconsider that Ninth Circuit ruling in an en banc hearing, meaning with all of the judges present. Instead of just a few of them, which is the way it usually is Mm -hmm. initially in hearings. Okay. And that seems to have spurred this rescission of the Trump administration's determinations from 2017 and 2018. And that is because the government has been defending its right to terminate TPS without judges or courts intervening. And they want to continue doing so. But the Biden administration has a policy and political interest in maintaining TPS. So the administration, the Biden administration, wants to be able to terminate TPS or have that authority if they choose to in the future. But in this case, they want to keep TPS going indefinitely. And so that's why they pursued this particular policy. In my view, the Biden administration doesn't have any plans to terminate TPS for any countries. On the first day as president, President Biden asked Congress to pass legislation that would allow TPS recipients to apply immediately for green cards that would allow them to become lawful permanent residents on a pathway to citizenship. Right. What the Biden administration wants generally, however, are their TPS designation decisions to be immune from judicial review. I see. Okay. So that would include terminations, but I don't think they will be terminating any TPS. So in other words, to prevent the Ninth Circuit from coming up with a decision that would legitimate judicial review of TPS matters. They're just canceling the cancellation, as it were, Mm -hmm. that Trump had put in place so that the case now is moot. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But everybody takes their work permits. Yes, exactly. So they get the policy outcome that the plaintiffs want without having to take a legal position that is against the government's interests. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, 
where does this leave it now? Everybody, these people from these countries, 300 plus thousand, just get another, they sort of re-upped their work permits, right? For another 18 months? That's correct. And how many other people, just sort of as background, what's the total universe of people with this TPS? Not just in this case, but just every, all the other countries too. Um, currently, there are 17 countries that are designated for TPS. And that in culmination includes an estimated 700,000 individuals, which is up from 400,000 beneficiaries in calendar year 2020. So under this administration, they've granted essentially what amounts to an amnesty, a renewable amnesty, but it's a kind of work permit amnesty to an extra 300,000 people beyond the ones that already had it when they took over. Exactly. The yeah. Biden administration has either designated or redesignated all of the countries that have TPS. And notably, not a single country has been removed from TPS designation, despite being designated on the basis of perhaps decades old storms or earthquakes. And I remember I read one of the renewal because they have to put it in the federal register. And I actually read the rationale for Honduras renewal. This is several renewals ago. And I was like, you know, what is the basis for this? The hurricane was, you know, in the 90s, for heaven's sake. And one of their explanations was that there's widespread coffee rust. It's like a problem with coffee plants, rust, it's called. And that because of that, they needed to renew TPS. I mean, it's purely pretextual. And, you know, in my sort of beyond this particular case, TPS needs some fundamental reform. You know, executives cannot be permitted. The president cannot be permitted to just keep renewing TPS. One proposal, I think, is that a president can grant TPS once, but then any future grants would have to be approved by Congress. That's a proposal that, you know, at least would make it harder to renew because it wouldn't just be on autopilot. People would actually have, have to take a vote. Anyway, thank you, Liz, for that update. We want to move now to John Fury, who wrote a piece, and we're going to have links to both of these in the show notes, about a policy that limits ICE's ability to actually enforce the law in a particular context, and that our vice president is responsible for coming up with this particular policy when she was in the Senate. So, John, tell us what the sort of background is, first of all. Well, thank you, Mark. As you know, and as a lot of our listeners are well aware of, there's been an explosion of child labor all across the United States. Right. As the New York Times has reported a number of pretty hard-hitting exposés, they point out that the number of unaccompanied minors or unaccompanied alien children, UACs, coming across the border has climbed to a high of 130,000 last year, three times what it was five years earlier. And they looked at a whole bunch of horrific examples of what was happening at work sites across the country. They found that there were 12-year-old roofers in Florida and Tennessee underage slaughterhouse workers in Delaware, Mississippi, and North Carolina, children sawing planks of wood on overnight shifts in South Dakota. They also noted that in Northwest Grand Rapids, only 7% of migrant children were being released to parents, the majority being handed off to more distant relatives, acquaintances, or even strangers, which the Times described as an immediate red flag. And just to be clear, these are because unaccompanied minors when you come across, I mean, unaccompanied usually is sort of a term of art that doesn't even really describe them accurately. Nonetheless, there's a legal process where they're handed over to the Department of Health and Human Services, and then they find a sponsor. 
and it's the sponsor issue, sort of the handing off to the sponsors, which is a big part of the problem here. Right. And this has been a problem for quite some time. Even under Obama, right? That's right. And the situation, I'll put it bluntly, if you're a random illegal alien somewhere in the United States, you can go down to the border and pick up a kid and, and basically disappear. Now, HHS will say, well, there's a process we go through and there's a vetting process. Well, not really, because as you point out, this is something that has been on the forefront of Senate investigations for years. Under President Obama, when Biden was vice president and Kamala Harris was a senator and DHS Secretary Mayorkas was deputy secretary, we saw a huge wave of UACs coming across the border. We saw all sorts of exploitation. One of the big cases was an Ohio egg farm where investigators, including HSI, special investigators at ICE, uncovered the fact that there were kids working there around the clock, basically being locked in trailers. And they were all there because of their, quote, uncle, a sponsor who had brought them. Well, it was child exploitation, quite clearly. And it wasn't just that case either. There were many other locations around the U.S. Right. And it was so bad that the Senate issued a report, a scathing bipartisan report, from uh, Rob Portman and Claire McCaskill. And they just went after Health and Human Services, explaining how there was no vetting being done to the sponsors, hardly any vetting being done of the UACs either. They weren't visiting households. There weren't home checks. It's actually a horrific report. We'll have a link to it on our, on our right. podcast. But that report was issued in 2016. And the conclusion was that HHS had to step up its standards and that there was probably a lot of space for more law enforcement as well. So the Trump administration took that report and started trying to address some of the problems within HHS, which was, that was quite an undertaking in and of itself, and I saw some of it. But we were also trying to address it over at DHS. And one of the things that we were doing was assisting HHS in vetting some of these sponsors. You know, this is a whole-of-government approach that is needed for a lot of things like this, Every part of the government has one piece of the puzzle, and they don't necessarily communicate. Obviously, Health and Human Services doesn't know much at all about the immigration background of these sponsors, whereas DHS does. And most of them, let's be frank, they're illegal aliens, or at least a huge share of them are illegal aliens. Yeah, that's 100% correct. And what we decided to do was enter into a memorandum of agreement, an MOA, for explicit information sharing between ICE, CBP, and HHS. This was in April 2018. And that information was helpful to HHS because their goal is to make sure these households are, are suitable. It's a suitability check. And they would want to know if these sponsors are here unlawfully with criminal backgrounds. That's not really a stable household. If we're putting a child into the hands of someone who might be deported next week for a criminal act, that's not really where you want to send a kid. Right. So we started sharing this information, and I started arresting a lot of these sponsors because, as you note, very large percentages of them were here unlawfully. Now, that's a good thing because that meant that kids were not being handed off to questionable individuals, but it also had the secondary effect of discouraging the smuggling and trafficking of children to our border in the first place. Because the UAC flow, which is an artifact of relatively recent law from uh, 2008, if I remember correctly, that special status that they have basically is incentivizing parents who are here illegally or actual uncles and aunts to pay smugglers to bring the kids to the border. They step over the, the border and they say, I'm unaccompanied. And by the way, here's the phone number and address of mom. 
and get delivered to them. There is this incentive in the law to for illegal immigrants who left the kids with grandma back in the old country to pay smugglers to bring the kids here. And there's an interest with HHS as well, which is, yes, statutorily, they're supposed to make sure that they're handling these kids properly and looking out for their best interests and their care. But HHS doesn't want to be housing lots and lots of children either. So they want to move them on to the next responsible adult. Right. Uh, In any event, this was something that most people thought was probably a good idea, trying to address some of the concerns from the Congress a few years prior, except for Senator Kamala Harris, who was very upset about this. She said it was outrageous when asked about illegal aliens in the U.S. seeking to take custody of children and ICE arresting them. And what she did at that point was issue a bill in November of 2018. And she issued a press release as well, announcing her legislation to prohibit immigration enforcement on all of these UACs, their potential sponsors, and any other random adult living at the address where the children will be sent to live. In other words, it was an amnesty for anyone who might suggest they want to sponsor a UAC. And specifically for the kids involved, in other words, if there's somebody's boyfriend living in this house who is a registered sex offender and an illegal immigrant, ICE under Harris's legislation would not have been allowed to do anything about that. Is that correct? There were no exceptions at all. Unbelievable. It was truly unbelievable. Well, that was in the fall. The following year, the Democrats took over Congress. And that January, they took Kamala Harris's bill and put it into a DHS funding bill. They adjusted the language a little bit. They decided that maybe there should be an exception where there was a felony conviction or a pending charge for certain crimes like child abuse, sex abuse. In those instances, ICE would be able to make an arrest. The problem, of course, is that ICE doesn't have the full picture on a lot of these sponsors. We might know the person's here unlawfully. We don't necessarily know their whole criminal background. We don't know anything about this person prior to the time in the United States. Right. They could have a huge criminal history back in Honduras. We just don't know. But nevertheless, this provision went into effect, and immediately ICE had to stop arresting most of these sponsors. Right. And so the child exploitation, the child trafficking continued. And in fact, the New York Times did some research on the number of complaints that were coming into HHS, and they tracked them by month. And what you can see, according to their own little bar chart of HHS data, the number of complaints went up right at the time this bill became law. There were more complaints of child exploitation as a result of this. There was a lull when the pandemic happened. Right. But then, of course, Biden becomes president. They gut worksite enforcement. They gut immigration enforcement generally. And now we've seen complaints skyrocket, according to HHS data, about child exploitation. And so this proviso in the Homeland Security funding bill, is it still there? And that's the problem. So this provision has carried over every single year. And I'm not sure that the Republicans necessarily even know that it's still in there. The way Congress does things sometimes, the first version of the bill will spell out how the the thing operates. But the following year, it'll say Section 114 of last year's bill is incorporated here. It's one sentence. And you have to know what that was. And And then the year after that, it'll say Section 337 of last year's bill is incorporated here. So you have to go back and back and back to figure it out. Right. 
So now the Republicans are in charge of the House and they're in charge of the purse strings. And the question is whether or not the House Republicans will incorporate Kamala Harris's anti-ICE provision into this year's DHS funding bill. Or just allow it to stay, basically, is kind of what, because the easy thing is inertia. They may not, like you said, they may not even know what's in there. Right. But I would argue that it's probably best for public safety and to discourage this child labor if the Republicans stop that provision from being included. Right. However, I would argue that it's still defense. And I think that the Republicans could require ICE to make arrests of sponsors who are here unlawfully. Okay. I mean, if the Democrats can prohibit ICE from making arrests of sponsors in a DHS funding bill, I think the Republicans can probably require ICE to make arrests of sponsors. You know, it's basically requiring a immigration status check for any sponsor and that if that comes up with a red flag that they have to be taken into custody. It's a way of overcoming all of the anti-enforcement provisions that this administration has put forth. Interesting. Yeah, because that was my first question. It's like, if you remove that Harris provision, this administration isn't going to arrest anybody anyway. Okay, that's it. So is there any um, movement on that? Do we know in uh, appropriations committees? There is some understanding if this is a concern within the Homeland Committee. Right. The question is whether or not the appropriators are paying attention. Right. So to go back to the actual issue, how does this relate to the news that the administration or the HHS has lost track of lots of these unaccompanied alien children? That actually got some coverage because all they do is they call up as a sort of follow-up check and they say, hey, you know, how's it going? And people just don't answer the phone or whatever. And that there's tens of thousands of examples of that. They've lost track. Is Is there an overlap here? Well, according to data obtained by the New York Times, over the last two years, the agency could not reach more than 85,000 children. Wow. This is Health okay. and Human Services. They also said that overall, the agency lost immediate contact with a third of the children that were placed in the hands of sponsors. Mean? They had no follow-up immediately. In other words, some of these folks, they went in and did home studies after the fact, months right. later, but couldn't reach them. But apparently, within a very short time after, a third of them just disappeared. Wow. Okay. Interesting. That's something that HHS needs to be thinking about. It's more of an HHS policy practice rather than DHS. They would argue probably that they are incapable of doing that just as a matter of sheer numbers. That's a lot of home visits to do. Right. And that really points to a bigger issue, just like when we were talking to Liz about TPS statute needs to change so that these kind of abuses that we've seen over the past, what is it now, 30 years, don't continue. We need changes in. It's in TVPRA, right? The Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act, if I get the name right, that has, that creates a special process that is the origin of these abuses. Yeah, the government has to live within its means. Congress creates these policies or practices, and the executive branch sort of shrugs its shoulders all too often and says, look, we only have so many resources. Well, who's supposed to fix the problem there? I would argue Congress should and should limit the amount of workload that it creates for these agencies or increase the resources for these agencies. Instead, we're doing the exact opposite. We have a massive amount of people coming across the border, and we have no increase in resources for these agencies to address the problem. ICE is a perfect example of it. We have millions of people pouring across the border, no increase in resources for ICE officers or detention beds. 
And Congress thinks they can rely on administrations to fix the problem, but you unfortunately now have administrations that don't want to fix the problem. They're okay with this. In fact, in this case, with the children, we have a vice president who helped create it. Right. I mean, this is a version kind of of over-promising and under-delivering. I mean, Congress is creating these requirements and then not funding the administration, any administration, adequately to actually do those responsibilities in a responsible way. And again, it's just a matter of someone on the Hill making it a priority because the one thing I was pointing out when we started digging into this was that it's more difficult to adopt a dog from the pound than it is to pick up a UAC at the border oftentimes. I mean, I recall years ago, my dad and my sister went to the local pound, this is out in California, to uh, adopt a dog that was, you know, not going to be living much longer if we didn't adopt it. Right. Well, there was a whole, very, very long process. They wanted to interview every household member. My mom was at work at the time. Like, she, she can't be sitting there for an interview to pick up a little mutt, you know? They wanted to know where the, where the dog was going to be sleeping, what part of the house. And we really prefer it sleeping in the kitchen. Like, it was crazy. And that's for just a pet. But for these children, they're just ready to hand them off to anyone. And not, they don't want to do home visits, and so they're really not doing them. Yeah, I have a cousin who used to live in D.C., and when they had their second child, they needed another garbage can. And they had to have two home visits just to get authorized to have a second garbage can in the District of Columbia. And they're just handing these kids off. It's unbelievable. Anyway, we're going to have to cut it short there. We're going to have links to the things both Liz and John were talking about in the show notes. Thank you guys for coming. And I'm sure there's going to be more bad news in this regard. And we'll have you back to talk about it in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And finally today, just a quick note about a blog post we had last week, which was about an email that an illegal immigrant who lives in the Northeast, we redacted out his uh, information, sent to Andrew Arthur, Art Arthur on our staff, asking whether he should be going to the border to get work permit from the Biden administration. And the, uh, the relevant sentence is this, quote, if I travel to the border and turn myself into CBP, Do you think they will grant me the humanitarian parole they are giving these migrants? Unquote. In other words, an illegal immigrant, presumably without work permits, follows the news closely enough because obviously they have an interest in this and wondering if he should be driving down to Mexico, cross the border into Mexico, and then come back and say, hi, I want humanitarian parole. Now, this may be a, you know, it may be a phony email. We have no way of verifying it, but it was an interesting way to shine light on the fact that this administration's policies at the border are, in fact, an amnesty program for illegal immigrants, but for those who are newcomers, as opposed to those who have been here for a long time, which this administration also wants to amnesty, but doesn't have that authority. And how this long-term illegal immigrant is wondering whether he'd get an amnesty if he went into Mexico and crossed back over. And Art Arthur in this blog post chews over what this means, what are the implications, et cetera. It was just a fun and kind of informative thing to read. The title of it is Illegal Alien in U.S. Wonders if It's Better to Head to the Border. And we'll have a link to it in the show notes. That's it for this week's episode of Parsing Immigration Policy. My name is Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center for Immigration Studies. Thanks for joining us. 